0: Lloyd, to Lloyd, 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 Lloyd. Kane, would you get your ex-teammates to uh, cheer you off after your final
1: game?
0: So <laughs> we got to talk about it. Of course, it's a it's a massive scandal.
1: Uh, I mean, I just didn't really care. I, to be I, honest, I, I, can give you, I, uh, just, I can't believe people. Obviously, me. Bryce Gibbs and uh, Kate Simpson and Mark Murphy carried him off. But, yeah, I mean, I, I honestly just. I, I didn't really care. I didn't understand what the big deal was. I understand that uh, Carlton fans yeah, might have been a little bit frustrated after the game, but whatever. It's 2020. We're over this. You don't have to act like your enemies as soon as the game finishes. It's
0: just what it is. Some people are going to like each other. Some people are going to hate each other, but you don't have to hate each other just because of the uh, color of the clothes that you're wearing. These blokes have been mates for years and years and years, and then yeah, Gibbs wanted to leave. So he doesn't all, all of a sudden become a bloke that you never talk to again uh, if you were your really good mates. And yes, it's disappointing that yeah I think the same people who get angry at this sort of thing are, are the same people who uh, yeah push the the white line fever type of scenario so okay, the game's finished so what's the, what's the difference you have to hate each other all seven days of the week or do you have to go hard for 90 minutes 100 minutes which, which one is it or is it just we it just, need to create an issue out of whatever it is
1: Yeah it just doesn't it doesn't mean anything to me the players interacting with each other. It doesn't tell me anything about how they truly feel about the game or the results. I just don't read anything into that. We've seen it this year, perhaps more than ever. And I think it's just been such a strange season that you are seeing players after the game, sort of chatting with each other, catching up, probably having a bit of a laugh about the situation they're in and the hub and everything that's going on. It's a strange year. I just, I, I don't know. I, I, people, as you sort of pointed to, people have got to be angry about something. There's got to be some news, doesn't it? I was, I was watching that game. I saw the end of the game. I saw. Bryce Gibbs get
0: chaired off, and I thought it was cool. I thought it was great. I tell you what, the thing that's also frustrating with it is, and I don't want to, heart, we'll, we'll get off off this in a sec. But the people who are you know, saying that there's an issue or, or pushing this out there are the people in media who have interacted with players or former players who have been in that situation before. And Kane, I don't know about you, but you've spoken to players, and when I speak to players, you just get to realise that they're just. They're regular people living their lives and this is their job. You, you, When you have that interaction with them, you understand that they go through exactly the same things that everyone else goes through and have friends and people they don't like in their workplace and people outside other areas that they talk to or they used to work with, they're still friends. So the more that you talk to them, the more you realize that's the case. That's what I don't understand these people who are in the media who talk to these players and interact with them all the time and former players. Why would you have an issue when you understand what's what going on or are you just doing it to uh, to generate outrage? Uh, and that's yeah, that's a frustrating thing, but that's it's enough of that because we're not, we're not going to talk about it too much, but there is some news because uh, your blokes could be uh, boosted by the return of Gary Ablett.
1: Oh, it makes me so happy to see Gary Ablett playing footy again, and it might only be for a couple more times. So, you know, I'm a little bit sad. Whatever happens with the Cats this year, if they fall earlier than, uh, than I hope or Cats fans hope, uh, it will be sad. He seems to be pretty set on the fact this is going to be uh, his last season, which, you know, he's playing some great footy this year. It does make you wonder whether he had another one in him, but we'll wait and see. I'm sure they'll still try and convince him. But this goes back to the point I was just making while we're talking about Gary Ablett because we've seen through this week that Ablett's been training with Dan Hanabry, uh Shane Edwards, Jared Ruffhead, who is part of the St. Kilda Uh, coaching staff, has been doing one-on-ones with Adler, and they've been working together. And this is why uh, it's just just such a bizarre year that you've seen stuff like this go on. You've seen players play for opposition teams in practice matches just so they can keep fit, so they can be ready to go. Uh, I just think it's been great. I mean, I think it's been great that you've seen the clubs come together, help each other out in just really bizarre situations like this, things that you could never uh, have imagined in the past. And you think, and I know the Saints may be in the finals, but you think about Shane Edwards and Gary Ablett, they've been training together for the last sort of two weeks here. Uh, They might play on each other in the grand final. That that legitimately might be a matchup in in the grand final and they've been uh, working out together a couple of weeks before the finals start. But uh, all three of those guys look like uh, they're going to join their teams or they will join their teams uh, today, I believe it is. So clearly
0: um, some quality there. Yeah, so we've got Edwards and Ablett returning to their teams. Uh, Dan Hannabury also uh, after quarantine. And it's huge. And I, I'd seen that footage of Roughhead and Ablett a few weeks ago. <laughs> it, was, it was so interesting, it was so strange to see. But it's also cool. And again, it's, it, it does tie into that point. These are just all people. And this is an industry as a whole, it's not the Geelong football industry. And the Cats can exist without other teams or without the league. Or without mm-hmm. support staff, like they all need each other to actually have a industry, a game, a league at its highest level and highest strength. So, you know, when you're sitting, do you want Gary to just kick a footy against a wall by himself? Like yeah. these, there's the, a couple of these blokes who are in this scenario. Get them out there and do it. And do, do you really think that? In, I don't know if anyone's complained about this. Actually, I do know because someone has definitely complained about this. I don't know the specifics about it, but do you really think that if Gary Ablett and Shane Edwards are going for the ball in a cutthroat final, Alice is going to say like, "After you, sir. We we trained together. And now we've got good friends. You pick it up. I'll get the next one." Oh, thank you, Gary. That's very nice of you. Like that's just not going to happen. These guys are going to go hard. They're going to smash the shit out of these guys, and then they're going to go there. That was fun back there. Yeah, good game. Good luck next week. And they're going to be pissed that they lose. They're going to be happy that they won. This is just what's always going to happen. Now, other news coming through. Um, looks like the Giants. We've talked about their free agency issues. We've mentioned Jeremy Cameron a lot. We've mentioned Zach Williams a lot. We haven't mentioned Aiden Cor, but he is is uh, done. Yeah, this
1: is this is a, another blow for the Giants. There's no doubt about that. You mentioned those two big names. They're going to be ones to watch. Clubs are still certainly going to be circling there. There's no doubt about that. And this is why this season for the Giants is such a disaster because you know you have that grand final last year, and I, I think. For the most part, they have, you know, being GWS, and it's the same as every team around the league now, it's, it's worth making that point, but they have a bunch of guys from different parts of Australia that I reckon if you look back and you look at the actual quality that the Giants have lost, similar to the Suns, over the last few years, it's incredible the players they've lost, but I think the Giants have been able to keep the bulk of them together because they've had the promise of success, and, and everyone's kind of felt that it was inevitable that the Giants were eventually going to win a flag. I mean, I think we all thought that. Um, certainly, if they didn't get a flag, we thought that they were going to be in multiple grand finals and be top four team for the extended future. They still should when you look at the age demographic and the talent they have. The fact that it's it's almost locked in that they're going to miss the finals. Obviously, things can happen this week, but it looks like they're going to miss the finals. And if you're a player that is in a situation where you can make a decision to go home, maybe you're considering going home, if you see what's happened here, speculating here, but maybe you, you don't like the direction of the club. They've extended Leon Cameron. We spoke about that. This is a real danger period for the Giants that they could lose
0: all the momentum that they've built the last couple of years in, in search of that flag. Yeah, it is, and yeah, that could really tip if, if we have uh, Williams and Cameron joining core Now, Cor's a guy that's played almost every game this season. He still hasn't played 100 games yet, and he's 26 years of age, so you know, a little bit behind where he probably should be if he was with an, another team that wasn't stacked full of young talent. But maybe if you are looking at at, uh, you know guys you know, like Zach Williams and, and I think you can get someone like core at, at a cheaper price and yeah maybe you know, he can develop in, in a larger role for one of those teams he's in that area that 26 to 29 year old peaked or 20 you know, 26 to 28 peak type zone and he hasn't fully had that opportunity given the team that he's been on so I think he's a guy that again all the focus is going to be on Williams and Cameron there is a real opportunity for teams to get themselves a pretty good deal on someone like core I believe Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the fact that he hasn't played 100 games. He is 26. So he is right in his
1: prime there. Uh, And the thing with him, he's mentioned that he wants to come back to Victoria. So I have no doubt there's going to be interest there. But he has been a really reliable player for this year. He was in their their grand final team last year. So he is in their best 22. Or They really rate him at the Giants. As you said, he's played every game this year. He's been really, really strong in one-on-one contests throughout the year. Defensive uh, one-on-one percentage loss. Uh, rate of only 15%, which is second at the club amongst uh, players that have had a, a decent amount of those there as well. So he's been a really solid performer. This is this is a blow, And as you sort of mentioned, if
0: you add Williams into that, uh, that's a couple of the key members of their back six. Absolutely. We also got some news there on the finals. Uh, they're going with the standard, uh, now standard Thursday night final. Um, what else What else have you heard about the, the final series, which is uh, going to be starting in a week or so?
1: Yeah, so they just sent an email out with a media release basically outlining what the final situation is going to be. So as you said, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday afternoon, Saturday twilight for the first week. Um, there was some talk about a Wednesday night game, but they've probably sensibly scrapped that one. It just complicates things moving forward the next week with breaks and all that sort of stuff. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. So Thursday through Saturday, uh, the things that have been absolutely confirmed is that West Coast will play or can play Uh, the first week of the finals at Optus Stadium, if they finish fifth or sixth, I I guess I should say. So fifth or sixth, they'll get a home final at Optus. If they sneak into the top four, obviously they won't. And because the teams have to quarantine for seven days prior to that first final, uh, they will not get the opportunity to play in Western Australia outside the first week of the final. So the only way they're going back to Perth is if they don't make the top four, which as we know, uh, that will be Richmond beating Adelaide and Geelong beating Sydney on the weekend. As far as Port Adelaide goes, uh, they've got a a nice run. And we expected this was going to be the case. It looks like they're going to finish top two. So they would get a home final in week one. If they win that, a home final for the prelim. If they lose that first week, the second week will also be at Adelaide Oval. So Port Adelaide are in about Brisbane. We know that they're going to have uh, the run right through at the Gabba as long as they win. So Port Adelaide and Brisbane clearly in the box seat. West Coast. Uh, yeah, it might be a little bit frustrated, but that's the government rules. That's what we expected. They'll get something out of it if they do miss out on the top four, which you know is going to put them in a pretty good position to succeed. But no doubt, Brisbane and Port
0: Adelaide, the big winners. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely the case. And that's why we've talked about fighting for the top four and in particular the top two has been so important, especially for those teams to get those games at their, uh, at their home uh, digs. And uh, let's see where that where that leads them as we head into the finals. Of course, teams aren't uh, unbeatable at home, as we've seen plenty of times. But this uh, gives them a little bit of an advantage. A team who doesn't really have an advantage with anything going at the moment because it's been pretty rough for Essendon all season. They are uh, under pressure, Kane. Pressure. No
1: yeah, we haven't done under pressure for a while, but the Bombers. I hinted at it yesterday. I said our good friend Sam Ficini is not happy. He is angry. And I think most Bombers fans are pretty pissed off with the way this season has gone. I think the bulk of the frustration has come come about from the the really strange coaching situation we've got on with John Worsfold and Ben Rutten. From what we're told, and again, we're on the outside, Josh. We can't exactly speak to what's going on inside, but it's been strange watching this play out. It looks like it's Ben Rutten. We're told that it's Ben Rutten that is making the moves. He's, it's his game plan. He's implementing what he wants. But John Walsfold is kind of the, the strange mentor, the media face. But if I was an Essendon fan, I would be kind of frustrated with John Walsfold because he sits on the bench. He doesn't look engaged at all. He speaks to the media. He says just ridiculous things that contradict each other every single week. This isn't an Essendon team that's rebuilding. All of a sudden, the last couple of weeks, he's pointed to the fact that they're not quite there, that they weren't expected to be in the top four. Well, it's not entirely accurate. They were expected to be good this year. They were expected to take a step, and they've gone backwards. And again, similar to the Giants, uh, they find themselves in a really difficult position with
0: maybe retaining players. I, I just, I, It would be hard for me to imagine Essendon being in a worse position. Yeah, um, I've talked about these you know, coaching waiting type scenarios multiple multiple times. I just don't think they work. Malthouse, Buckley, drama there. Ruse to Goodwin, well, why are we just anointing Goodwin as the coach? I don't think that's been a success necessarily. This one's been almost worse than those other two already, and I can't really think of any other options or any other examples at, at this point. But uh, yeah, you're committing to a guy a year out in Rutten, um, so you do, you do you have to give him the job next year? Uh, it is just a either that O'sford just retires or or goes away this I don't see why we've got two guys there conflicting messages he doesn't give a shit at all He's potting blokes in the team and the supporters while he's still in charge. Um, You've got the Joe Danaher scenario. You've got Saad looking to move on perhaps as well or looking to get a a really big deal from Essendon, which I'm not sure they're going to necessarily go in that way. They uh, lost Heppel for all of the season, then he came back and then all of the season again. They've won one out of their last nine. It is a rough, rough go of things for Essendon. And do you look at their list at all? Like where where do you see who's the who's the young guy that we're yeah, the or the young group that's yeah, we're waiting to come on and be that that next group of guys. I don't really I don't really see it this much with this team. They had Connor McKenna just retire as well. Um who who is that group? Of course there's Andy McGrath. Yeah, we know where where he's at. He's been strong. Zach Merritt is a guy that gets a lot of the ball. I'm not sure if he's the most impactful player with uh with the ball in his hands. Dyson Heppel's already twenty eight, so he's not doesn't have huge amounts of you know, further growth to go from there. Um, I guess you look at, at Parish as one of those guys to step up. You've got players like you know, Shield and Smith who have been uh, frustrating at, at times this season, but they're you know, already 27 too. So I feel like the list is sort of just sitting in the middle and we don't really know where it's, uh, where it's at.
1: I actually don't mind the state of their list. It's particularly when you look at the age profile, you mentioned a bunch of the guys, but if I just add the... The ages to those, even Dyson Heppel, he's still only 27. Shield, 27. Uh, Tip and Woody 27. Devon Smith, uh, 26. Stringer's only 25, which is kind of hard to believe. Fantasia, 24. Uh, and you can keep going down. Then you got Parrish, that's at 22. Snelling, who I think is a really good player. Yeah, he's, had a, he's, he's, had good. A, he's had a good season. He's only 22. McGrath, 21. And then Draper and Ridley are both only 21 as well. Yeah, so I kind of like the, the young guys that they've got coming through. But... The problem is that you have to retain – I think for Essendon to have any hope going into next season that they can take a step or even be a, around the mark of finals, they have to keep Danaher and Saad, and particularly Saad. And this is where it's going to be difficult for them because you spoke about the fact that he's going to want a long-term deal. There was some talk about four years. I don't know about the dollars. It's really hard to talk about dollar amounts right now because we don't know where the salary cap is going to be, the impact of covid but they can't afford to lose Saad because another underrated loss, Connor McKenna, just last week. So he was a guy that has been really important to them as that running defender, uh, sort of a running mate with, with Adam Saad back there. Saad right now, uh, this season, ranks fourth at Essendon for inside 50s. He ranks first for rebound 50s. He's got a kicking kick efficiency of 75% plus and, uh And he's right up there for defensive half, pressure acts as well he's vital he's critical he might even win their best and fairest this year he's been that good they they might be forced to pay him whatever he wants because i don't think they can afford to
0: lose him you said you know that you'd heard four years i'd seen five years for him so which would yeah. take him through to being 31 would you would you pay up on a five five years a long time yeah. but i think he's really really important to what they do i'd almost be like yeah, at the age of 26 like he's just turned 26 Five years takes him to 31. I'd almost be inclined to say, well, I'll, I'll happily lock you down for those five years. Because I reckon you get you get three really good ones out of him. Maybe you get four pretty strong ones. Maybe that fifth one, he drops off a bit. But I think you get some pretty good value out of him there. And it is hard to replace those guys who take... We've talked about Sardin and you know, the amount of bounces that he takes and how aggressive he is when he gets the ball in his hands. And that's not easy to find. Like Getting those sort of players is not is not an easy thing. Because there aren't many players who consistently take the game on from half back and you're Generate so much um your ground gain by by running with the ball and again losing McKenna there i think they almost have to get into that unless they're looking at near someone else to to move in, into that role but i don't, I don't really see who's going to be you mentioned other names that you liked which I, I, I yeah maybe i was being a bit harsh on this team i think uh, Brayden Ham showed some things this season as well mm. as a as a, a young smaller type guy he's only 21 so maybe i'm being a bit harsh on on that list but i think the i think if you have to give 5 years to side you almost have to do it yeah, I mean, thirty-one is nothing. You know, yeah. What's 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 thirty-one in twenty
1: twenty? Players are playing to that age. There's no worries. The, the last point I'll make on Sard, and you sort of pointed to it with with the bouncers and the attacking play in in twenty twenty again with the way that teams are structuring up, with the way the teams are slowing the game down. Sard is one of the rare guys that not only will break the lines and take the game on and kick through the zone and, and take the attacking options. He does it with efficiency, as I pointed to, kicking efficiency, 75-plus. So uh, when you talk about guys that are hard to replace, uh, he is, I mean, he's rare. There's just not that many of, of that type of player in the league. So, yeah, they wouldn't be able to replace him. And he's in the prime of his career. He's 26. So I think the big concern would be, again, we speak about Rutten just as, as we sort of look to wrap this up. But he, if, if Rutten is actually coaching as they say he is and he's running the show, and this is his game plan, and Danaher and Saad decide they don't want to be there, it's just not a good look for the Bombers. Because, again, when we talk about teams that bring players in, that are always in the mix to get players, and the Cats are rumoured last night to be in the mix with Danaher now, they're stable. They're stable teams, they're stable clubs, whether it's the um, the, the presidents and, and and the guys on that level, the, to the coaching, they're stable. And Essendon just has no stability right now and if it is Rutten that is running the game style and these players aren't convinced that they want to stay there it's just really not a good sign
0: no it's uh, that that's that's the concern is that yeah, instability you know starting off with the Danaher stuff last year and then moving on to the, the coaching staff and so much instability in that um in that team at the moment there is a real concern Yeah, you know, as as a Geelong fan like what's what's your opinion on this Yeah, you know, Geelong in the mix for for Joe Danaher? It, it really feels like he's just there's no chances with us next year
1: yeah, I mean, I'd be surprised, again, for that reason. I, I think last year when there was the talk with Danaher, he wanted to get out of Melbourne. So is a little sleepy old Geelong enough for him? I'm not 100% sure. I mean, the Cats are in the mix for, for everyone. They do it every year. And uh, it's I know it, it <laughs> I know it annoys fans if I go by the social media reaction. But um, they'll, they'll throw their hat in the mix. And the big thing with the Cats, I've said before, uh, they got that haul for Tim Kelly last year. And clearly they wanted to keep Tim Kelly but to end up with the three first round picks that they did couple this year uh, on top of the one that they already have. So three first round picks this year and then the future one next year. Uh, they put themselves in a really good position to either draft guys or uh, acquire players in free agency. So the cats are in a good spot. I
0: have a pop quiz for you here. And I don't expect you to know this answer, but talking about bounces, who do you think leads the AFL in total bounces this season? Cool. Okay. I'll I'll give you a hint. There are in the top, uh, ten. There are three Richmond players, and it's a Richmond player that leads.
1: Okay, a Richmond player that leads. Um, give me he someone. Of,
0: he did a bit of damage against uh, your guys on Friday night with the uh, with the bounces, especially. Oh,
1: I already wiped that game from my memory. <laughs> um, it, it would have been uh little
0: little fella uh, Baker. No, it was uh, Jaden Short, who had he had six bounces okay. on Friday night, which is an astonishingly large amount. He's had 23 for the season, Bradley Hill, and then Ed Richards, the the top three in bounces mm-hmm. in the league. So I just thought I'd bring up that number because you don't really hear who's leading the league no. in uh, in bounces really at any point. So, hey, that's something, a uh, point of difference here for Locked On AFL. Most teams, game.
1: let me just say, most teams
0: don't even get close to six bounces uh, no, no. In, in multiple weeks, let alone one player for one game. That's an incredible stat. No, that 6-6 six, six in, a, in a game is a... is And uh, Bolton had four in that game as well. So that is uh, a that, that's a that's a lot of uh, uh maybe an indictment on Geelong's effort level in terms of chasing <laughs> in that one. That two <laughs> blokes had ten bounces where there are plenty of uh, plenty of players and teams that wouldn't get that across three or four weeks. Um, we did have a game last night and it was looking pretty interesting early on because uh, Collingwood was uh, under the pump from the uh, from the old Suns, but in the end, Collingwood do get the victory. They lock in their place in the final, sixty-eight to forty-six they still can finish as low as 8th but they cannot go out of the final 8 collingwood did and you know, they got port adelaide next week as well so they could find themselves off to perth to take on uh, west coast in uh, in the in round one of the finals if uh, other results go go according to how they probably uh, likely will did anything from this game from collingwood uh, make you feel any better the return of you know, trelaw and uh, and Dugowie, uh, in particular did that make you feel a bit better about this team uh, well, you saw, you saw it to what he does.
1: Yep. And we remember the last game he played against the cats. I think they kicked eight goals total. He kicked five last night. Again, he kicked four, but he gave one away in the goal square. So he could have had five and they've kicked 10. So again, you saw the X factor that the go brings. They did what I suspected they were going to do yesterday and they pushed him very deep. They played him really deep and he's an extremely scary player to have in one-on-one situations. The one that my big takeaway from this game is what are the commentators going to do about Mason Cox now? Because <laughs> now, now they have to bring up the prelim, and they also have to bring up this random game against the Gold Coast at the Gabba in round 16, 2020. Mason Cox was pretty good. They played him, uh, they played him up the field a little bit more, which, again, yesterday when I was wondering how they were going to fit together, uh, I was curious to see how that was going to mix because I think that your best bet for Collingwood is to get the Hull out of the way of Dugowie's, uh space and let him play one-on-one. But Cox was pretty effective up the ground. So I, I think he's basically locked his spot in now. Uh,
0: he's, he's playing pretty well. He was pretty damn good last night. Yeah, I I, th- I still think they're going to go to the old, uh, the preliminary final trope, but he was uh, he was pretty good <laughs> kicking another two goals. But I-, I think one of the big stories, and I've talked about Josh Dacos a bit this season. He's been a really big surprise, but Jack Crisp, Another big game. He had 30 last week against Brisbane. He had 23 against Gold Coast. He had 25 two weeks ago against Carlton. He is getting inside 50s. He's rebound 50s. He's taking grabs. He's getting a ton of the ball. And he is sort of really establishing himself as a a really, it was game 150 for him last night as well, but getting a a lot of the ball. Uh, From a team when we got Trelaw and Adams and Pendlebury and then Sidewomen to come back in. Crisp being up there continually with Dacos in terms of who's getting the ball a lot, is a little bit of a surprise. No, he's been good, and he actually saved them
1: with the big tackle last night as well. I, I think it was Holman from the Gold Coast, I think, that, that took the mark in the, in the goal square, and uh, I believe it would have put the Suns up. Either way, it was a critical patch in the game where the Suns again were looking to, to get that momentum, and, and Holman inexplicably played on, crisp tackled him, Collingwood went down the other end, they got a goal. And we're never fronted after that. So it was a it was a huge turning point in the game. And I, and you know, Chris, I agree. When you look at all the guys they've had out, consistently they've had key players out. He's been the one guy that's always been there. He's he's a ball winner. He uses it pretty well, and he's hard. And that's the big thing that the the Pies have going for them right now. They've got a bunch of tough players, don't they? And and we, and we've said that they need point of difference with skill. And I think Dacos is one of those guys. I think yeah. again, Isaac Quainor was really important. He's a player that plays through the middle and breaks things up when the Pies go to their slow-movement style of play, which really limits them from kicking goals. So I thought Quainor was really important, and I thought that the big move was getting him away uh, from Sexton because Sexton was playing him deep, and they needed to get Quainor up around half-back. They can't afford to play that guy deep and leave him isolated in the back line, so I thought they... They were able to improve once they moved him up the ground. Quaynor finishes with 17 as well. But uh, I've said all along, I'm, I'm still very, very sceptical about the players' ability to kick goals in finals against really good teams. But uh, they do have the names that would at least have you a little bit nervous if you face them in the finals. All
0: right, here's a, a weird question, but Scotty Pendlebury is going to be 33 before next season. He's played you know almost 320 games. Um, he's not going to be around forever. We know that. What is... Yeah, you know, what is Quainor's role in the future? Is it as a halfback? Can he? He's not going to be Scott Pendlebury because you know, nobody is. But in terms of that outside, good ball user, smart decision maker to go along with the grunt workers of Trelaw and of of Adams and those sort of guys, it, could Quainor move into a, a full time midfield role? Do you think? Yeah, full time midfield or, or wing. I mean, he's definitely got the size. I mean, he's he's big. He
1: he's he's, uh, he's not skinny. That's for sure. Um, and he's not afraid of the contested footy, but once you, once you do release him, uh, I think he's the type of guy that already, it's, it's hard to believe that he's played so so little footy and already that you want the ball in his hands as much as possible across half-back. I think when we go back to the side conversation, we've spoke about these guys all season long. They're rare. So for the Pies to be able to add him in, uh, it, it just changes their whole team. So I think they like him across half-back. And a lot of those midfielders that you speak about with Trelaw, Adams... You know, Dacos has been rolling through there, as you sort of pointed to, Chris. But I think they've got enough in the midfield that they'll be able to keep Quainor as a weapon at, at half-back. But uh, it's it's been a super addition because you look at the other guys that they have back there, Maynard, you know, skills a little bit a little bit uh, dodgy last night for Brandon, Braden Maynard, unfortunately. But imagine uh, the, the other back six. I mean, they don't use the ball well, and I think that's half of Collingwood's problem. They don't get it moving quick enough. They're not uh, attacking enough, and that's where Quainor is the point
0: of difference bit of news that just also came through now is uh, Tom Bellchambers has retired as well. So just an, another name there for Essendon that is, uh, that is gone. I think he's about 30, 31. So he's uh, he's out of there, but they've got you know, some other ruck prospects that they've been throwing in there during the season, although Bellchambers has probably been the best guy for them for the majority of that, but he is retiring. So good luck to Tom on his, uh, on his retirement. Um, so yeah, Kane, we've got the one round to go here and we've got, let's, the top five are in, we know that. And then we've got Collingwood at six, St. Kilda seven, Bulldogs eight, Melbourne nine, and the Giants at 10th. Um, four teams for two spots, but there's still movement around those uh, bottom three spots in the eight. We got, if we look at how these teams play up, Collingwood has Port, the Saints play the Giants, the Dogs play the Dockers, and Melbourne plays Essendon. So Melbourne probably with the easiest matchup there. Um uh, you know, Saints and Giants, they'll sort each other out in terms of that one. And then uh, Collingwood probably a loss to the power. So it's still a lot of intrigue in terms of how the bottom end of the eight shakes out. There is. Uh, I do think it's
1: down to three teams for seventh and eight. Yeah, the Giants, uh, the, are gonna, it's going to be hard for them. It's Just with percentage, it's going to be really difficult for the Giants to make that up and hope for all the results as well, including an Essendon win over Melbourne. So uh, I think it's St. Kilda, Bulldogs or Melbourne. I'd like Melbourne to beat the Bombers. This, this is Melbourne and- though, you realise? Yeah, I know, I know. I might regret saying that. St Kilda and GWS is a toss-up, but again, percentage is in St Kilda's favour. Even if they lose that, they've got a significant gap over the Bulldogs there. And and you know, it's it's going to come down to the Bulldogs Freo game. I said that yesterday, but that's going to be a game to watch. Uh, uh, Freo clearly they've been in really damn good form, and uh, the Bulldogs at their best should handle them. Uh, we'll wait and see. But down to three teams, uh, I reckon. Um, for the for the eighth spot
0: there. Yeah, the Bulldogs have only lost one game to a team below them all season, and that was Carlton up, you know, what round five or whatever that was. And I don't even know if Carlton might've been just a game behind them at that point. They've had trouble with the, the teams uh, above them. And I think they've only won one game of the teams uh, above them. And that was that two-point win against West Coast. So in general, they have handled the teams who have been below them. But again, Fremantle is surging at this point, And that is where it's going to come down. Because you imagine St. Kilda beats the Giants, uh, Port lose, uh, Port beats Collingwood and Melbourne beats and So then it's just going to be more of that toss-up between the Bulldogs and the Dockers, which we're going to leave us till late Sunday afternoon to figure out exactly the shape of how things are going to go. And then, of course, Monday uh, is Collingwood Port to work out exactly where everyone finishes in the eighth. So a lot of intrigue here. Um, in terms of... Uh, one last question. I think we've we've got time here before we go. Oh, I bet it is. I'll chuck a quick one out. If you're the West Coast, who do you least want to finish eighth?
1: Um... Collingwood.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I think it's Collingwood,
1: um, particularly you know now that they have got DeGoey back and and Treloar, I, I think um, the Eagles, the fact that there's some uncertainty around McGovern as well, hurts the back six. So I think the swing of Dugui in potentially McGovern out, although there is a buy before finals, we'll, we'll see what happens there. I think that's a big swing.
0: It's going to be interesting to see how this all works out. We'll be here for the rest of the week, of course, to talk about uh, games heading up for round 18. Kane, thank you again for another week of Locked On in... uh, Locked On NBA. I'm uh, I'm trying to weird myself (laughs) out. Locked On AFL. We've got a game Thursday night coming up. So a couple of days here without footy as we head into round 18. Thank you again. We nearly got through a full season. I've done it once. You've done it once as well. But uh, I'll catch you tomorrow. Guys, subscribe Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and give us a five-star review on the old Apple Podcast. And today, I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Darren Hume.